0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Innovation Crush as uh, Tanya Bershasky tries to get her headphones on. I
1: have the hats in the way. You got the hat
0: tilted one way and the headphones tilted another and way.
1: My ha- my hair is way too dirty for me to take the hat uh, off. So. That,
0: I appreciate that. That was that's uh, very thoughtful of you.
1: You're all welcome.
0: Uh, who are you? <coughs> hey, <she's joking. laughs> so Kenny. <Okay. laughs> Um. <laughs> no, we'll get to you in a second. Uh, uh, do a little bit of a one-on-one on who Tanya is.
1: Uh, where should I start? No, I'm kidding. So I am Tanya. I am a producer and a writer, and I've worked in the digital space for a very long time, so I can answer some of those questions Kenny had before we went <laughs> on air.
0: But we'll do that off
1: air. Yeah, we'll do it we'll do off air. No, we're going to do it on the air. <laughs>
0: this is what this show is. Sure. It's like a reality show. <laughs>
1: In so audio I mm-hmm. So I develop a lot of digital content for for people and for myself And do podcasts for people I know sometimes Awesome
0: We're going to get you on board over <laughs> here too that was, that was all. It's all strategic in inviting you down as my special mm. goal, guest co-host And, hi Sandra Hello Okay um, So the man of the hour, um, Kenny Mack Hi. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm all right. Want to get a little closer to the microphone? So oh, let me get, cut. let me get. Oh, cuddle. Okay. Yeah, well, you're not close to me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, who is Kenny Mack? Kenny Mack is, uh, first and foremost, a dad. I like to put that oh, out there. I yeah, define good myself as my father. It's like thanking yeah.
0: Jesus when you get the award. Exactly, like,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I uh, am a marketer, brand guy, dot connector. I've um, been... In many different fields and many different jobs throughout my career, and uh, currently right now I have a company called Creative Contraband. Um, what we do is develop uh, properties, um, and these properties are, uh, you know, fill a void for different audiences, right. and the first of these properties is uh, called Behind the Hustle, and Behind mm-hmm. the Hustle is a property that helps no, uh, young adults get into non-traditional careers, um, we started because, you know, I was watching TV one day when the, the job crisis was happening and right. listening to politicians blame each other. And I was like, you know, the, the biggest reason why there's such a job crisis to me was because there's more kids graduating from college than there ever has been before. And a lot of these Is that a real kids, statistic? Huh? Is that
0: a real statistic?
2: Uh, that? I mean, when you look at what's happening around, there's like, right. like... My kids would go to college. Uh, I went to, you know, it was it was an honor for me to go to college. Within it's it's so become, generationally, it generationally, it's just right. become the norm. It's like you, you you're taught as a child, you go to high school, you go to college, you get a good job, right. or you go to grad school and you get a seven, uh, I mean a six figure job. You right. know what I'm saying? So for me, I don't necessarily think that that's true, and I think that, uh, and you know, I've talked to different HR people. You know in different in different companies, and they all say the same thing, like kids that are coming out of traditional four year universities come out with their hands out like I paid the money right I went to the school, where my job <laughs> right so Right. So, the whole goal of Behind the Hustle is, you know, with the phenomenon of the influencer nowadays, right? right? And this person's an influencer and that person's an influencer and they have these followers and everybody looks up to these people and they see these fly lifestyles that they lead. You know, I'm friends with a lot of these, you know, people and they had to hustle to get to where they got right. to. And so. it wasn't a handout and it wasn't just like, a, hey, I'm here and give me what you, you know, what you owe me. Right. It's more of a, I'm going to scrap and scrape and fight to get to what it is.
0: Now, what kind of influencers are you talking, are you talking about cultural influencers or are you talking like in Tanya's world where you've got YouTube influencers? Is it, no, is it it's,
2: of- it's, it's really cultural and business influencers. So, okay. you know, um, for, for instance, I'll use him as an example. A good friend of mine is a, a culture and Curtis he uh owns a marketing company called Epiphany and he has a very huge following. He's a personality, he has a huge following, but people follow him because of his what he's been able to do right. and in his in this business space. And I was around this cat when we were all coming up and it wasn't that easy. Like you know, you had to fight to get to where you sure. where you are. So so I created behind the hustle essentially to create a platform that connects this audience of this new generation of kids that are trying to get to you know their career goals sure. with my network of influencers and this this platform uh, mentors is, is uses these influencers and for them to mentor this audience via video, via editorial and live events. Okay. So we do. We have web series um, on our website. We have a website. Our website's on part of the complex network. Um, and which is interesting because we're the only career-focused site on the complex. So I
0: was thinking about too. I mean, just when I look at it, right, it, it kind of goes beyond the traditional panel. Mm -hmm. content, profiling, innovation crush style interview. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you've actually created an ecosystem, right? Like, Mm -hmm. when I go on the website, there's job postings, there is the content, Mm -hmm. there's events, there's this whole thing. Like, Mm -hmm. how important was it for you to create that, you know, an ecosystem as opposed to just, you know, an information platform?
2: It was very important because, um, you know, kids growing up today – Live in their own ecosystems, like they're on t v they're on their their phones they're on their their laptops, and they're interacting I remember, you know like and people thought that the 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 explosion of social media and the digital world would take m- more attention away from the live you know the real world, but it's actually kind of been different it's made it more effective to have live events, so you know because now you know the fomo You know, uh, in the FOMO world, like when people see these events happening, they want to be there. So it was very important for me to touch them in three places. Touch them in a live event where they can actually look, I mean, where they can actually feel, touch, and introduce themselves to these people that they look up to and hear firsthand. Touch them on their mobile devices and on their computer screens, so they could watch these uh, uh, these videos about these people and hit them daily and continuously and consistently with editorial content that kept that keeps them locked in. Right.
1: Well, when I looked you up last night and mm-hmm. and looked up behind the hustle, my mm-hmm. first thought was, why didn't this exist when I needed it? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. this is obviously the time is now for you know with. everyone being so connected and and the internet and growing up without the internet Mm -hmm. how I wished something like this existed Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's called behind the hustle right Mm -hmm. I mean we all hustle we all had to hustle and I was gonna I was gonna chime in earlier but I didn't finish college so I Mm -hmm. really had to fight Mm -hmm. and scrape for you know for my six figures Mm -hmm. so um, so I get it and and the media Mm -hmm. has this amazing ability to Point at someone who just bec- who who has just become a household name, mm-hmm. and they're like overnight success story, right? And no such thing. No such thing. No and you know, I I have a ton of comedian friends who I grew up with in New York who are now successful, mm-hmm. you know, have successful film careers, but they hustled their asses off. Yeah, and I mean, you, when someone like Zach Galifianakis mm-hmm. is is said to have an overnight success story, I'm like,
0: right.
1: I used to go to his bringer shows, which which means, like, I was the, you know, you were the hey, problem. Tanya, I need to bring five people to the show. They won't let me do the show the bringer tonight. show, that's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I mean, the first thought was, God, I wish this existed when I started working.
0: Yeah, and along those lines, yeah. like, as you came up, right, mm-hmm. and I, I think you started off working with Puffy or. Mm-hmm. or well,
2: no, I started off. In high school, okay, like throwing parties,
0: yeah. So, what, and what, and like, like where, what, where were your influences at the time? Because you know, to Tanya's point, like, there was no platform like this to go discover a plethora. Like, most, mm-hmm. most of us learned, most of our generation learned what our parents, you know, mm-hmm. did, right? Um, so, where, where did your, you know, your hustle come?
2: Yeah, from? Yeah, I mean, you know, I came up in D.C. and you know was. Throwing parts. Doing the butt. You, you already know. You already know, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had a poster on my wall of Michael Jordan and a poster on my wall of Russell Simmons. Like, I was like, I can't jump like this guy. Right. But I'm as smart as this dude over here, so I want to be like this. So, like, you know, my generation had images of people that they could look up to who were breaking the mold and doing their own thing and i think you know the hip-hop industry becoming an industry right um was a was a great outlet and you know so i started to focus on that and what happened for me was while i was in college vibe magazine actually did this thing called uh the vibe um the vibe music festival or or something to that effect it was uh it was it was this big uh, event that they did. It was right. a conference. Sorry, the Vibe Music Conference is what they did. And I went to it. And the way that I went to it, again, part of the hustle was I was interning at the Recording Industry Association of America. And for those of you who don't know, every time you see a gold or platinum plaque on a wall, the RIAA is the one who had to do that for the music industry. Right. They certify the records, and they, they're the, the trade association for the music industry. And as my internship, I would answer the phones. And people would always call for stats. And one day, somebody from Vibe called for stats. And I somehow finagled getting this person's contact information and building with them on a regular basis. And right. I started with my boys. Like, we threw parties in high school. But then when we got to college, we started a marketing company. Like, it was a street team company in right. D.C. And I somehow, through you know, my hustle, was able to convince these people to give me the account for Vibe for street teaming in D.C., and the first year that we did it, we didn't get paid for it because I just did it on barter. I was like, I heard you got this conference going on. Me and my boys want to come up to New York for right. it. And literally, they gave us tickets to come up. They were like, Okay, cool. We'll give you four tickets, and you guys come up. It was like five hundred bucks, which at that time was like a million dollars. <laughs> exactly. Right? So just
0: put it all in the briefcase and the <laughs> singles.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we went up, and I mean, there was panels on. because hip-hop had become so infectious and everything at that time that it was like panels on how to, you know, uh, write your own screenplay and get into movies and and how to, you know, get your record label off the ground and and promotions and marketing and all this great stuff. And I just loved the energy of it. And, Hmm. you know, because of that, uh, you know, there was also this thing called How Can I Be Down back in the day that happened in Miami. That was the same thing. And there were these things, but they were very siloed. Right, so me going to those and experiencing those growing up, same thing. I was like, "Why isn't there more things like this for young people coming up?" And that's again part of the reason. Why I was like, "Well, here it is. Like, let's let's just do it. Like, right. let's just make it." So,
1: so the pe- the kids mm-hmm. are right out of college age. Is um, that-
2: me saying kids, right? Oh, right? So it's young adults. I'll, it's young adults. Like, and I'll give you an example. We did a panel with uh, three of my friends who own their own sneaker companies. And at that panel, after, after the Q&A was over, the question started, and a 16-year-old boy raised his hand and asked a question, how do I get an internship? And one of the guys answered. The next question was a 30-something-year-old guy saying, where's the better place to get manufacturing, Asia or in Europe? and those questions happened right behind the other right. and nobody looked at it like you know, looked around the room and everybody was like oh this is normal because your hustle is ageless you know what i'm saying like you know we, we we're doing we're doing an editorial piece on a friend of mine right now who is world traveler has been like a brand ambassador for Hennessy like you know throws these crazy parties and all that stuff and he's this big playboy and he has like a load of followers on Instagram and Twitter, and everybody looks up to him. Well, his dad lives in Vietnam, and they decided that the family wants to open up a hotel, and he wants to get into the hotel business. And the first thing that he did was took on an internship at the W. Hmm. So we have, this, <laughs> we have this, awesome. this editorial series on him right now called The 30-Year-Old Intern." Right, and it's all about like him being like, "Yo, I'm gonna humble myself and start over." So, the hustle for me, like, though my focus sweet spot group is like, you know, twenty-something-year-old, you know, young adults who are trying to figure it out. I got people who are pushing forty who are trying to figure it out. Who hit me all the time, like, "Yo, like, yeah, the information that you guys provide. Well, it's
0: interesting because, in because to your point, I think hustle can happen at any point in time. My, mm-hmm. uh, my sister and I were talking recently about um, uh, Colonel Sanders. -hmm. And he didn't. He started shopping his chicken recipe door to door at eight sixty five. And you know, uh, my sister is she's like leading AA group, so she finds all these really, really good inspirational Mm -hmm. stories. And she was just basically like. Prior to that, he was a loser, like literally mm-hmm. a loser. You know, um, you know, lost custody of his kids. Like, the, you know, wasn't like drugs or drinking or anything. Just like couldn't average hold every, a job. Day <laughs> every, every, every day loser. You're um, average every day loser. Suddenly, I'm, I, I actually, see a mirror.
1: I actually just picked up a magazine at the airport because that's what I read magazines I won't admit. But that when I'm on a plane I'm allowed to read whatever I want. So I picked up a magazine. I I forget what it was. I think it was Entrepreneur magazine. It was just the whole thing was featuring people who didn't hit their stride till after forty, forty five. Mm-hmm. Right. Who did nothing before just didn't have much of a career or whatever. Just people started their own businesses after forty. Mm-hmm. So that was to that point, Colonel Sanders.
0: As far as like um you know, because I, I look at the young, the, the younger professionals or whatever, um, do and you talk a little bit about college, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, do you feel like the educational system does them a bit of a di- uh, disservice, right? Because you, especially some of the jobs that you profile and the people you profile, like. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know they exist. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a a degree in engineering. I do not use it at all. Mm -hmm. Right. When you ask Mm -hmm. a 17 or 18 year old kid, Mm -hmm. you know, where um, what they want to do for the rest of their lives, Mm -hmm. like, unlike you, like, I think you're an an exception to the rule, right? Where Mm -hmm. you knew in high school and you got the bug and like, I didn't know.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and all that saying, when I walked across the stage, when I did graduate and I Got my degree from college. I walked across the stage. My mother was meet, was at the other end of the stage when I was walking off, and I put the degree in her hand, and I was like, "This was for you." And I walked away. I gave her a big hug and a kiss, obviously. But like, <laughs> I hope so. The, the point <laughs> this of is it was the the tone,
1: the <laughs> no, tone right the point, now.
2: <laughs> but the point of it was was that the whole reason and purpose why I was driven to get that degree because of my generation was I have to graduate from college, like, yeah. and. But I knew all through college that this piece of paper is not gonna help me, (laughs) like really help me get a gig. Like I have to make, because I don't want to. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be like you know. And what was your degree in? Legal communications. I can write a contract and I can oh, read one.
1: Well, that is helpful. That's, that's important. And yeah. that's,
2: why, that's the one reason why that was my major. I was like, I guess I'm going to have to know how to read <laughs> but is, but I think contracts. A, I didn't even know but, that was a
0: thing. I know. And, but also, I, I think that kind of still goes back to the importance of school, right? Yeah, it's and, still important. And, you know, or the, even the, for me, and I have a couple of younger nephews. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're younger. Um, but <laughs> I hope they're young. <laughs> but no, the, we talk, when we talk about it, one of them didn't really want to go to school. And I'm like, at least go for the experience of being on your own and like there's there's an intrinsic
2: value. Of. My thing is this. I think that college and school is very important. And I think that it's very important for people that need to do it. However, I don't think that it's something that everybody needs mm-hmm. to do, which is what it's turned into. It's like if you don't go to college, then you're a failure. Well if you look at you know
0: the percentage the, of failures that are out there.
2: Well, well, not the percentage of failures. <laughs> yeah, right. but the, the 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 percentage of great success. Right. In this country, the majority of them, like, are That's college dropouts. Right. So, um, you know, and I <laughs> think, slow down.
0: You'll get there in a. But but
2: again, it's it's you know. So I'll I'll give you a real life example sure. for me with college. Right. So my daughter is in STEM heavy. Right. So mm-hmm. STEM is you know science, technology, engineering, math. She's Straight yeah. A's, and she wants to do something in medical biology. She has to go to college. Right. Without a doubt, like, she has to go.
0: Remind right. me to tell you about the Steam Carnival.
2: I've heard about the Steam Carnival. We'll talk about that. Yes, yeah.
0: we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, Everybody go Google Steam Carnival, since yeah. we mentioned it anyway.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but in the same breath, there are, uh, there are other people who I deal with on a daily basis who the traditional school thing isn't them and my only ask to them is is not don't use that as a crutch and be like yo I don't need to go to school because that's not love, you know I'm not on <laughs> right. but like figure out what you need to do that's what Behind the Hustle is all about so like if my daughter wasn't doing that and she came to me and said you know daddy I'm really into fashion then she'd be in you know learning design and all of that right now right. she'd be going to a vocational school immediately to learn that because that's what she's going to need to succeed in the field that she's going to do. And same thing, like, you know, like, since she was 12, I have had her do internships. So right. she learns the importance of how how hard work, what hard work is. How old is she now? She's 15. So, but yeah, so, so there is, you know, I think that school is still important. Right. But I don't think that it's forever. It's become a crutch. It's become... Yeah. A status quo where people think like I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to get a job and then well, they come it, out of college without a job and they got that bill to pay.
0: Still. Right. I guess philosophically is like education in a broader sense. Yes. Right. Not the education system, but yeah. educating yourself on your industry, your interests, your and if that means in the case of STEM, mm-hmm. right? Like yes, you need to go sit in a lab and mm-hmm. put on a coat. Right. Um, where you have uh, something that you you talked about um, something coming up in a couple of months mm-hmm. or Behind the Household called Initiation?
2: Yeah, so Initiations is essentially a day-long event where we initiate our audience into an industry. So we'll pick an industry, um, whether it be, you know, something very specific in music or fashion or, you know you know, digital, right. you know, whatever it may be, and we will have a keynote speaker, um, we 'll have two industry panels uh, speaking specifically against that, and then we 'll have a uh, we 'll have two workshops that physically teach you something tangible that you need to learn in that field to kind of get you started in awesome. that field so so yeah, but but that is a form of of education. You know, I went to I went to you know San Francisco a couple of years ago, right when we started behind the hustle, and you know all the social media companies were like, "What are you guys doing?" And we were yeah. like, "Oh, like we just launched this thing. We're figuring it out. We really don't know, honestly." And um, we went up there and met with a couple of them and met with like marketing people and whatever have you. But met, we made it a point to meet with the HR people as well too. And without saying any names of these companies, right? They were like. <laughs> I will take somebody from a vocational school any day over a four-year, you know, a graduate. And the reason being is because of exactly what I'm talking about. They're like, they come here, they expect everything, they don't want to work. And I'm not trying to put down college students because, again, like I'm pro-college, like I'm not anti-college, but I just want people to don't use... Not to use it as a crutch, and know what you want to do, and figure out what you need to do, because there is no guaranteed job. Yeah. You.
0: Well, I think also it's like you know it's a generational thing, right? When you talk about millennials uh, being sort of the en- the entitled generation, right? And and we had a guy on the show, um, Oliver Bogner, who's like Forbes 30 under 30. He had just turned 21. He's like a reality TV mogul. Really smart guy, and I asked him that question. I was like, "You're 20." He was turning 21 a couple of days after he was on the wow. show, and I go, "People say your generation has a sense of entitlement," and and I was like, "What, what do you say to that statement?" And he goes, "It's true." And so, does, you know, it, another quick story is like I met with a guy a couple of days ago, and he showed me his resume, just kind of like for feedback purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, three months here, six months here, a couple of weeks in this project, nine months here—all you know, decent stuff. Uh-huh. But I think again, kind of his sense of entitlement was like, "Oh, I want the thing that I want now, right?" Uh-huh. And so, how do you guys educate on that part of it? Where it's like, there's some, there's has to be a little bit of stick to itiveness. Yeah, know?
2: I mean, you know, we we have a video series, um, or like our web series called "Cool People, Cool Jobs," and. In that we focus on, you know, cool individuals that have, like, really, you know, cool, interesting jobs. Right. So, like, one of the people that we covered was a guy named Jason Mark. And Jason Mark makes sneaker cleaner. He makes probably the number one sneaker cleaner right. out there but and is doing well off of it, but he does that.
0: So, he makes water.
2: Well, no. no. <laughs> well, no. It's like his story, you got to watch the video. His story is pretty interesting. Right, But... You know, with, with these, well, what we do with that show is we focus on three really specific things. Who you are and what you do. How you got into that. And within how you got into that, what are the trials and tribulations of doing that? Right. And then what's your advice to somebody who's trying to do the same thing, right? And with Jason's story, he spoke about how in, you know, like, like five years ago, when the economy dropped, right, he had the sneaker cleaner, <laughs> and he just stuck with it and grinded it out and grinded it out and grinded it out to now, his biggest problem is, damn, how do I set up my infrastructure to handle footlocker orders? right? Because my business is booming that much, right? So his whole thing, you know, like even how he started his company was... I like hip-hop, I like basketball, and, you know, I like music, right? Like, the, like his, his thing, those were his likes, right. right? And he was talking about how he grew up doing all these things, and he went to school, and he ended up going to business school, and he was in a job that he hated. And hmm. he took his knowledge of business school and said, I'm going to come up with ideas of things that I would love to do, and I'm going to write a business plan against each one of them. And because he wrote a business plan against each one of them, that's how he knew the sneaker cleaner was going to work. And he just stuck with it. He was like, this will work because I planned it out. I pulled it out. This is some rough, turbulent times, but I'm going to get through it. So everybody that we talk to, it's not just about them glorifying who they are and what they do. It's really about them talking about, yo, like I went through some realness to get here. You know, like another person we talked to was Chris Gibbs, who's like very well known in the the fashion, and men's fashion world. And he owns a a boutique called Union. And he, he talks about how He started off as a clerk at Union, sweeping up, you know, running to get coffee for people, all this stuff, like hardship. And it wasn't only—it was only through cleaning up the store every day and organizing everything that he got firsthand information as to how to run this boutique. So 10 years later, he bought the boutique from the owner— and right. continue to build it into what it is today and you know like it's 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 these people telling these stories of like you hear like the real hardships it's not like everything's easy and hunky dory it's like stuff is real
1: um, I'm gonna go home and watch all of those <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, just tell me about it <laughs> No, nah, I'll watch it um, so when I first heard the name Kenny Mac right it was some years ago um, you know my first perception was like oh he's a party guy right and um and that's I think you were doing like events and stuff for a few liquor brands. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, obviously at the time I didn't realize like the you're sort of the I I wrote down what did I write down? The gatekeeper to tastemakers. Right. Mm-hmm. So um a, how do you deal with sort of stigma, right? I, th- I think you know, or when, pe- when you do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. people tend to associate you with you know, the lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. if, if, the, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a personal brand standpoint, you know, how, do you, how do you manage that? How do you manage people's expectation or perception of Kenny Mac?
2: Well, one is I have to be comfortable and be happy with who I, I am and who I want to be and be very consistent about it. And managing other people's expectations is definitely a full-time job. But, you know, as long as I'm consistent and deliver a consistent message, right. it is what it is. And like you said, like, yeah, Kenny Mack, the party guy, I definitely 150% was that guy. Like, I got into the industry through throwing parties. I've gotten into, you know, like you talked about, I used to work for Puff. Mm-hmm. Puff knows me from coming to my parties in New York. You know what I'm saying? Like I was able to, at a young age, realize I had this talent of bringing people together, right. and kind of like, hey, let's all get together and have a good time. But then, kind of utilize it to help me achieve the different goals, you know, that I've had. And 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 yeah, like you know, that then turned into me definitely building this big network that I have. And now, you know, x amount of years later, I can use this network to help young kids that are coming up. You know, so for me, I'm, I'm never. And not saying that you were implying that, but I'm never ashamed of Kenny Mac, the party guy. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was like it was very much. But part like of my that, but
0: DNA I, I, I think more so in the sense of like an oversimplification, right? When, right. when you say brand architect, mm-hmm. and then you go party guy, like it, it's too it, conceptually, it's mm-hmm. two different things. I'm sitting here looking, and we're talking, mm-hmm. we're having a conversation. I get it, but you, you know, for like. The first time you walk into a room with client X or mm-hmm. prospective client X, mm-hmm. you know what? How do you let them in on what to expect from you? You know how do you how do you pitch yourself and your services and creative contraband and your team?
2: You know, um, I have this series, this editorial series that's about to launch on the on the site called uh, Kenny Max Three Things You Need to Know, mm-hmm. and it's funny because. Um, one of the three things you need to know is three things you need to know about creating like the perfect pitch. Right. And uh, (laughs) how was that? It was good. It was good. It was a great pitch. Um but I talk about like, you know, the only way you can describe yourself is to create simple case studies so people can understand who you are and what you do. And for me that's what I've done. I've looked at different things that I've done throughout my career and created what I call the CAR system of case studies, right? So it's the challenge that I had, why I wanted to do this thing, the action that I took to achieve the goal, mm-hmm. and then the actual results, right? So once you do that and you can show that to clients and show that to people on different levels. I tell kids to do that when they're talking about, oh, I wrote my resume and I have this, you know, big meeting with the HR company. I'm like, oh, Yo, you should, you know, you should still... Do like a little case right. study on yourself so that people can see what you've actually done. Even the way that people write resumes nowadays where it's more of a, they write like a job description. Like I get it. If you were in that, if you had that title, right? I know that the four things that you have on your resume <laughs> are what you were supposed to be doing. Right. Now tell me what you actually did. Right. You know, what makes you stand out from everybody else. So I think showcasing yourself yourself via case studies where you have hard evidence of this is, I am and you let the audience judge based on that like yo like I've done this right? you know and yeah like I walk into a room and I have on sweatpants and sneakers and I'm like yeah but within that I've you know managed a four million dollar budget or I've you know what I'm saying like created 11% growth on different brands and you know so there's there's different things where you can showcase yourself
0: right Um, how important are tastemakers for brands hmm Because there's, you know, there's kind of like, there's two trains of thought, right? Where sometimes you get a T-shirt on Justin Bieber and there's no blip at all. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, or the case of Lady Gaga and Polaroid, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that made a dent. So, or is the value of tastemakers being leveraged or how do you leverage them appropriately?
2: Well, I think one, the first thing is the concept of an influencer, a tastemaker, all these different things are... Kind of a vague concept and people do not understand what a real true tastemaker is. Somebody that has a million followers on Instagram, that does not justify them as an influencer or a tastemaker. Because you can have a million people following you because you post cute pictures of yourself. So people are following you because you... So you've quote, seen my Instagram account? I've seen it.
0: Okay.
2: I've seen all of you. <laughs> like, I thought but, I blocked you, but... But... So you can have that on your Insta. I mean, you can, you can have that, but if people are just following you because of that and you're not actually making them change the way that they think about something or how they move, like, you have to have opinion leaders. Like, that's what a tastemaker is. Mm. A tastemaker is somebody who does something and because of their action it makes others change their decision or change the way that they do something um you know i always you know coming up when people would want to go after the celebrities right and they'd be like oh let's go after so and so and i'm like now who's the guy next to them
0: right
2: who's the guy next to them because that person is the one who is the real tastemaker or the real influencer And, um...
0: person next to them competitively or, like, they're... That
2: works with them. Okay. Usually because they're the ones that are like, yo, you should try this. Right. And they're putting them on to the the hotness. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there's certain celebrities who are definitely themselves tastemakers, but there are others who are just, like, you know, they are in the position that they're in and because of that they need to stay hot and they need to stay relevant so they surround themselves with people that right. know what the next is and can push that so nine times out of ten true tastemakers and influencers are people that are sometimes in the shadows even so when I go to a brand and I talk to a brand about what they should be doing or how they should work with tastemakers and influencers the first thing I want to know is what's the goal Mm-hmm. Do you have a product that you want a million people to see instantaneously? Okay, then work with somebody that has like a big following. Do you want your product to get integrated into culture? Well, then we have to dig a little deeper, find somebody that's organic to that product, right. that people actually respect their their thoughts. Because here's, here's another example, right? Like tastemaker and influencer. You could have somebody who ha- is an influencer who... Does something and you know they change the people's perception on fashion, right? right. Yeah. But they know nothing about computers, but their boy is the guy that they go to to say, Yo, like, I need a new computer, which one should I buy? Right, that person is themselves an influencer, you know what I'm saying? So it's just different about like it's different influence. levels of it, yeah. And you, and it's 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 a strategy, it's not just like a quick fix, it's not just like a yo, I'm gonna do this and this is what's gonna happen, you know. Right. So. so
1: I'm sitting here trying to memorize your entire chunk right there because Mm -hmm. for every time I have this conversation with some executive Mm -hmm. just get me get me somebody get me and and so it's always this conversation but not as detailed as that so I'm sitting here trying to I'm going to memorize it I'm going to call you every time she has an innovation (laughs) crush on you
0: (laughs) yep no (laughs) Um, and and you know when a client is going to spend money, right? Because a lot of times when they want the new thing, or they you know, I do a lot of work in marketing and innovation, like mm-hmm. new, newness. Um, there's always like a little bit of a barrier, and there's a, a high percentage of uh chance mm-hmm. that they'll go right back to what they know, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to go right back mm-hmm. to, oh, I'm going to do a media buy. Oh, mm-hmm. how, how do you, uh, you know, kind of taking the, that, that last bit of the conversation a little step further, how do you? go about that you know the sales process of it like mm-hmm. the the convincing that this is the right well
2: move. again you know as i talked about the case study right right you have to go into every project thinking like how am i going to build a case study after this right. which is i have to know going in what the goal of what i'm doing is and how it's going to be measured right so when you understand how it's going to be measured you go into the program and the and the thing creating The matrix to make you creating the success for the matrix afterwards, right? So I've done projects for brands where, you know, it's been, we want to see an uptick on our social. Right. And we've created, you know, whether it be a hashtag or whatever, but measurable things so that once that happens, they can see it. But then I've also done stuff to where we've worked on projects with brands to drive sales, you know, but you have to be, but then it's like, it becomes a whole other thing because we're in the, in the in the room talking to the marketing people and I'm like, you got to get your salespeople in here. Right. Because I want to talk to them about how they're going to sell this product and how what we're going to do is going to influence the sale of that product so that we can properly measure it. Right. Because if we can't properly measure it, then at the end of this program, you're going to see an uptick and you're not going to be able to prove that it's from this and then you're going to be like, well, right. it's because of the media buy that we just did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you have to go into the project thinking that like... When I am successful with this, how will they measure it?
0: So give 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 me a case study, just uh a, maybe a, like a, a crown jewel of yours that you're like we knocked this one out of the park.
2: Um.
0: Or something recent. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Crown jewel. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? Um.
0: Or a fun. Or a rhinestone.
1: <laughs> I'm <laughs> Russian. Zirconia. I'm a Russian girl from Brooklyn. I love me some rhinestones. <laughs> uh, oh, okay.
0: I saw these glasses. Yeah, these purple uh,
2: yeah. Morpheus.
1: Yeah, I have four of those. They're the last four in the world.
2: Um, something that we've done, you know, to show a small scale, one, right? Sure. Like um, Belvedere. Right, which was liquor company that I used to work for. I left, and then I started. So not, the, not the TV show. Yeah, not the not the Mister. Okay, just the
0: just Bel- yeah. just yeah. Belvedere. Pay attention, Chris. Yeah. Streaks on the China. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, they did this. They had this event property called Belvedere Music Lounge, and they did it during these ten pole, you know, music events. So whether it be Ultra, Coachella you know, what have you. And we came on to not only develop content, but to create other excitement because it was like, you know, the, the event happened from, you know, 12 to six. And they had the places that they were using blocked out from like, you know, for a week, you Mm -hmm. know, and it was like, how do we utilize this more? Like we have this space. So one year when it was an ultra, so that was a challenge. The challenge was how do you create buzzworthy, um, buzzworthy you know programming that can happen and be at little cost to us because we already have the space right. so they um, it was at the W in Miami and they at the same time Khalees the um, singer mm-hmm. is a good friend of mine and she was graduating Cordon on Blue and a lot of people don't know that Khaleesi is a chef, so that's why her album go. now is called Food, is because she yeah. really throws down. Yeah, and the Jerk Ribs song is she really makes some. Well, banging make sure jerk we get ribs.
0: invited to the, uh, the the release party <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because exactly. that's going to be delicious and audio pleasing. friendly.
2: Yeah. So so to that point to that point, what happened was I was looking trying to figure out what would be a good thing to do along this time, and it was you know the first one was at Ultra, and which is large, you know. Uh, EDM show right so what we did was we partnered with Khalees and her team for them to do her listening party for the top EDM DJs that were down there
0: right
2: Um, we also invited press and whatever have you and Khalees actually cooked the dinner so it was like a big deal like everybody was like yo I gotta go like Khalees (laughs) is cooking like (laughs) really and I mean she made like this killer snapper like it was amazing but We've had content teams follow her around through the whole experience, documenting everything. That's and awesome. through that, we like you know I can't rattle off the numbers now, sure. but the, the the press impressions were off the off the you know meter. The social media impressions were off the meter, and it was something that went hand in hand with what we were doing with Belvedere because they're doing the Bellevue Music Lounge. Or what better to happen than a dinner by an, a music artist that actually can cook? And this is right. what it is. So, so that was kind of. You know, on just like a small scale sure. thing, no, something not, that
0: but it's did. not small. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a big brand and it's a, a high impact. It's a different way of thinking about it. As you were talking about mm-hmm. it, you know, when you talk about collaborations. Um, I like. I'm a firm believer that we're moving away from sort of the competitive economy oh, and moving collaborative. more to collabor- like 100%. more collaborations. You talked earlier about behind the hustle, and I think mm-hmm. there's a relationship with Complex Magazine mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. or just in this case, it's like it was a partnership, right? Mm-hmm. It was you know, and a way for her to get her cooking skills mm-hmm. out to the public, but mm-hmm. also you know, a good thing for the brand, so. Mm-hmm. How important are these collaborations, you know, in either your day-to-day or just in the industry in general?
2: With everything that we do almost, we try to collaborate because, you know, I'm a firm believer in guilt by association.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) So, you know, when we have or, you know, when I have clients that are brands that want to do something cool, I always try to figure out who they're trying to get at. Right. And then I work with other brands that are either trying to get at that same market or already have a stronghold on that market and figure out how each brand can add value to whatever the program is. Right. So, you know, for, you know, another example, there's a, you know, a, a trade show that happens in Vegas and they hired us because there you know, there was other competition in the trade that the oh,
0: magic fashion. Uh, yeah. Okay.
2: So, and, oh, and and they they uh <laughs> They hired us because they were the older, like, you know, cornier show. Right. And we came on and they were like, you know, we want to do something in the digital space. They were like, oh, we want to hire bloggers. And I was like, okay. (laughs) All right. And I was like, how about this? I'm not going to hire no bloggers. And I was like, you want young people talking about how cool the show is. And you want social media buzz going quickly about how, sh- how cool the show is. And they were like, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring 10 social media influencers to come out and hang out at the show and share their experience through a hashtag. Right. And they were like, wow. And I was like, yeah, but guess what? A lot of the experiences that you have aren't that cool. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to partner with Moet Hennessy in Vegas and collaborate on some events with you guys so that there are other events and stuff like dinners and parties and stuff like that happening during the right. night so that the hashtag can live past just the show floor right so we did that we had 10 people come it was for 3 days and we got 19 million press impre- i mean uh, social media impressions over the course of those 3 days wow. off of doing that so and it was a value to not only Magic, but it was a value to at Hennessy as well, too, because it was, you know, like, oh, we're at the Hennessy dinner, and, you know, like, but they're right. using the Live at Magic, you know, um, hashtag, so. That's a good car. It's a great car, thank you.
0: Thank you, yeah. you, you gotta recycle. Anyway.
2: Um, <laughs> do you
0: ever, you see, because you uh, you seem like me in a way where I was going to ask you if you have idea vomit, right? Like, you seem like the kind of person, when you get in a conversation you just can't help but to start contributing to mm-hmm. <laughs> to what they're mm-hmm. to what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you like? How do you balance that out? Like, you know, do you ever find that whether it's in your personal relationships? Like, I know mm-hmm. my wife is like, I, I, I didn't ask you, you know, mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, or do you uh, like? Or even like that? Once you get really passionate and going about something, like then you want to do it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like, how do you balance out? How do you filter?
2: You have to, and I've learned this. Through many years, because it is a big problem, you have to treat it like what I call IA, so not AA, You're right? But IA, Ideas <laughs> Anonymous, and you have to just really focus on trying to restrain from the urge to doing to to do it, and really just like learn to listen more. Like that's the other thing that I've been trying to what do. You say? Just just huh? what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but learning to listen more, and you know. Really hearing and assessing and kind of fall back because, you know, and I'll tell this to all the, the young idea gurus out there. If you are truly somebody who has, you know, great ideas um, and you have a lot of them, like, you know, the, the, you know, my friend used to always say, you know, people get like really great ideas through the course of their life. You have about 10 an hour. Mm-hmm. So if you're, the, if you're a person like that, you have to realize that those ideas are gems and you should treat them as such. So, you know, you should be getting paid off of your ideas for, you know, for one thing. And when you just start to blurt them out, like they're in the zeitgeist and other people hear them, and the next thing you know somebody's doing exactly what you were talking about doing, and you just lost the momentum because you said it. Right. So you have to protect them. And, again, like the other thing, too, is just listen sometimes because I've learned this with clients. The brand has their own idea of what they want to do and they need your help to do something very specific in that idea. Just because you think they should be doing four to five other things doesn't mean it's in their brand plan. Right. So you really just need to kind of be quiet, listen to them, figure out what specific thing, what specific idea you have that can help them achieve the one goal that they have. And then when you have some success with them, be like, yo, I had this other idea for you right. guys. You want to hear it? Like, Let's talk about it. So it's it's about kind of executing restraint and willpower
0: What's that patience too. And I think it's, you know, having the confidence that you'll have other ideas, you Mm -hmm. know, sometimes even you, you want to do that one and you keep pushing it. You know, there was a book I read called a compassionate samurai. And Mm -hmm. one of the things in there was this principle of give people what they want, not what you want to give them. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think a lot of times when you're in a a consultative capacity and, Mm -hmm. and working like, no, you got, like, I'm telling you, like it's, and so you have to find a way to make their idea work mm-hmm. to some extent or at least add on something that, you know, is the sure shot, or, mm-hmm. you know, up, mm-hmm. up to, to some extent. Um, so the show is called Innovation Crush. Mm-hmm. Um, w- aside from Tanya's Innovation Crush on you, <laughs> what um, what do you see out there as a trend or a thing in the marketplace or a person or somebody that's, you know, just something that you see that, that kind of wows you? What do you have an in Innovation Crush on?
2: Um hmm, there's one that I can't talk about because it's not out yet um, uh, you know, I think from, a, from an innovation standpoint the, the things that really kind of excite me nowadays are the guys who are in, you know, Silicon Valley who are developing you know, these new social applications but not all of them the right. guys that understand that monetization is very important and are able to create monetizable, like easily monetizable, applications. Right. So, for instance, I mean, the guys at the top of that list for me right now, the Uber guys. Like, I think Uber is absolutely genius. You take something very simple that's a, a need of the everyday person, you make it super easy for them, and you find a way to, you know, get a cut off of that. Right. Like, you know, um square um you know there's these new guys in in frisco doing this thing called store envy where it's like setting up e-commerce platforms Mm -hmm. and get a piece and like so there's like that is one thing that really interests me and you know i think is super innovative and then you know just another thing is just like even though it's it's not new but like like youth culture Mm -hmm. right like the the gen Y yeah the rebelliousness of youth culture that have been happening since forever where the new generation is is kind of like doing their own thing and whatever have you and just seeing how kids are you know developing their own kind of personas nowadays It's, Mm -hmm. it's a very different thing you know like I have a niece who is a social you know maven she's like has a bunch of followers Mm -hmm. and all this stuff and like brands are hitting her up to do stuff or whatever and but she's just a kid she's just like being a kid right and she just has this following and i remember she doesn't even think about herself like that but she ended up going to paris on vacation with her mom and like a kid came like she posted about being at a restaurant and these girls came to the restaurant with a picture that they drew of her and oh, we're like wow. and she was like, Oh my God. And I was like, Yeah, like you've built this persona of yourself and people just like consume it. How old is she? Seventeen now. Wow. That happened when and she was fifteen. What's her
1: platform? Where's she the social media? Oh,
2: on what platform? Yeah. Instagram, Snapchat, Vim, um Vine like that's the other thing with them. Like they're super. You, <laughs> ha- you, have, to. Yeah. you have to. And and you think about like You know, the mindset of like our kids now, like the babies now are coming out using their thumb as much as they're using their index finger because it's like we were doing this for so long and whatever, that now seeing these kids grow up and knowing what, like I always, as a a kid, would be like, yo, like, what was life like without hip hop? (laughs) (laughs) Like, did that actually happen? Like, how did that happen? And You said go down to the juke joint. (laughs) <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and now, and now, my daughter is probably the last generation that knows what life is like without social media, and she only knows that for like the early ten years of her life. Like, but yeah. she, like, she and now to see how it's just become like they're they're wired in, like it's just yeah. a part of their lifestyle. Hey,
1: do you guys remember internet cafes?
2: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it, Twenty five cents. Exactly. The <laughs> really like, cha-ching, cha-ching, <laughs> cha-ching. Yeah. But yeah, it's just so just watching them come up and like, because right. I think about it and I think about like how innovative, you know, adults in the '90s through now were right. All the you know the the the, the technological revolution, and all right. these things are happening so quickly and everything, and I'm like, these are kids that grew up with like an Atari. Yeah. My son is three and plays with my iPhone and knows how to use it and operate it. What the heck are they going to do? Did you
1: watch him try and figure it out? How, like, how does a three-year-old figure out how to use an iPhone?
2: They just, when I think, you know, there's no barriers. I can't teach my mom. Yeah, but it's that's because years. she has barriers. <laughs> right. She has barriers and thinks about how things should, like, how they are.
0: So this is what She's it is. blown away by it, whereas it's, it's he's second like, nature. Oh, he's let like, me figure this
2: out. Yeah, like you swipe this, okay, good, and then I bring this down, mm-hmm. and then good. So I think it's like, you know, these, these kids are just, it's just this coming second nature to them. They're operating it, so it's like, you know, my, my son will bring me the phone and be like, Daddy, I want to talk to Mama. He wants to call his grandmother.
0: Right.
2: But when I say I'm calling Mama, he's like looking at the screen, and I'm like, no, I'm calling her. He's like, no, I would. I would be like, you're the
1: genius. Her. Figure it out. Yeah, <laughs>
2: figure it out. Dude. But just the concept of he, his mind can rationalize seeing and talking to somebody like this. Right. We can never fathom that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, so now if that's just like yeah, the Video phone
0: used to be like Maroon. the Jetsons. The yeah.
1: <laughs> Jetsons. I remember watching Jetsons going, whoa, that's
0: so cool. <laughs> um, you seem like a pretty cool guy. When are you most uncomfortable? When am I most uncomfortable? Yes.
1: Wait, can, I, can I ask the question the way you intended it?
0: What? Oh, I want to How did I intend it? Yeah.
1: He intended it to say, aside from being on oh, the show. The <laughs> yes. When do
0: you feel when most uncomfortable? When do of? you feel most uncomfortable? <laughs> I had a grammatical error inside <laughs> I wrote it a, as a period and a comma. Together, yes, collaborate. It's like a wink. Yeah. <laughs> well, one, uh, one, without the other act.
1: That's anyway. the one question I wanted to
2: ask. The way it was. The way it, it was. Asked. Oh,
0: well, you got you got to do it. Your dream <laughs> just came true. I
2: think Thank you. I think I feel most uncomfortable when I can't deliver against something that I've said I can deliver on. Like that, like sets me back. I feel like obviously feel uncomfortable right. when that happens and. I don't know, like, and this is gonna sound so kumbaya hippie, but like, I feel super uncomfortable if any person around me is being mistreated or like spoken to a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just makes me like, I wanna like stand up for everybody, like, no, it's wrong. Be a superhero. My son thinks I'm a super
0: (laughs) dad. That's good enough. Super dad. And we started the interview with your son, Mm -hmm. your dad first. Exactly. As we come to a close. Nice. Complete this phrase. Mm -hmm. Innovation to me is?
2: Innovation innovation to me is evolution. Because through innovation, we all evolve. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you for Mm -hmm. coming down. Hopefully you had a good
0: time. Thank you. I did. I'm glad you got your headphones and hat all Thank you, it's a good away. luck. It for is, because it's kind cool.
1: of cool. Like a radio DJ. for a lot of this show. I forgot I was sitting here in front of a mic. I was just like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Go on. Oh, there's a mic.
2: Hey guys. <laughs> I'ma join in.
0: <laughs> Bye, Sandra. Bye. Bye. All right everybody. This has been another episode of Innovation Crush. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time.